American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Um, so I guess, do you want to introduce yourself before we get started? I think this is the first like, British one I've had on the podcast in a long time. It's the first time we've done a podcast in a long time, so it's good to actually get someone on like who's actually here. Uh, a decent runner like yourself so yeah just introduce yourself uh yeah well first of all thanks for having me on i uh, appreciate the platform and stuff you, i think what you built over at trackstar is pretty mad it's probably one of the first people to do it in the sport um so yeah thanks for having me i'm luke duffy i'm a uh, middle distance maybe a distance runner um from the uk from from uh, nottingham originally who is trying to have a bit of a breakthrough year this year um ran at the euro cross uh, in the relay where we where we won um and yeah that's about it really going to get speaking to half ahead of the indoor season yeah I, I actually i've got a question written down but since you mentioned it right there i want to ask, ask you that to start off with you did say that maybe a distance runner like middle distance maybe a distance runner where do you sort of lie in terms of specializing because julian's told me obviously i train with or i'm currently in his house someone who lives with you and he's mentioned how you d- and you've you've said it openly on social media as well. You don't really want to like be like a five k eight runner. Like you don't. There's not much point like having that range. So where do you sort of specialise? You think at the minute like fifteen pure and pure or? I think that's been the key to this year. It's the main theme to this year. Where last last year, like I ran good times from like eight hundred up to really ten k um, throughout the year. And it was like, they were just all just good. Um, yeah. Where I'd rather be exceptional at one. Um, and last year, I didn't really have a coach, so I was just a bit blind leading the blind, really. And um, was trying to, I'd like to be really erratic and run a 5K one week and an 800 the next week. And um, yeah, so it, it, I'm trying to specialise. I'm trying to be a 1500 metre runner this year. Uh, I think my coach mentioned probably in the long run, I'll probably be a 5K runner. Um, just because yeah. I'm not like 21 second 200 meter or low 22 second 200 meter quick like I'm not that like explosive um, but I think now I'll get my 15 down and then maybe look, look to 5k in the long run if I um, if I stick at it basically yeah I, I think that's a big thing like transition from 15 to 5 if you if because you, you are even though you're not like blisteringly quick like I guess you're training Dan Rowden and Josh Lay, like they're very, very fast. But like, you can still close in 51, 52 seconds last lap. Like you did that at uh, the national heats, didn't you? In like the heats of the national champs. So like when you go up to 5K and you can close in a 52, I think that probably bodes quite well for many, at least every domestic race you can possibly do. Like, you know, you're going to have to run like 40 minutes and then close fast in the UK. And then when you transition to the Diamond Leagues, I mean, if you've got a 330 something in your belt for 15, like going through, I don't know, what, what were you running per K? Like probably like 240s, 245s for 5K. And then a like burn up on a Diamond League circuit. I mean, it kind of sorts itself out quite well as a progression, doesn't it really? Yeah, it, it, that's a sticking point though that you mentioned. Like it worked domestically. Mm. Um, but if you're looking at a world level and you want to be competitive at the world level, it's so like you probably it's probably easier to make the 5k team to get there but then when you're there these guys are on like 
aerobic level that's just so beyond. Like these guys are running 57 minute half marathons. As to be, it, it, like, you can't really compete with that at that level. Never. So there yeah. has to be, you have to find another way of, com- of combating that. But yeah, so last year I had a go at the 5K because I thought I'm quite robust so I can handle the mileage and stuff that's required. Um, but you didn't really, just didn't really get it right on races and um, training and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, long run is probably going to end up being a five, being being five k. If I want to start making serious like senior teams, um, but I'm just I, I want to stay. I, I love the fifteen. The fifteen sort of like where I got into the sport and stuff like that. And it's a cooler event, really. It's the Blue Ribbon event. So yeah, yeah, it pretty much is. De- definitely the Blue Ribbon event of distance running. Um, probably actually probably the most exciting race to watch on like the circuit at the minute because eight hundred sort of especially the men's eight hundred at the minute is pretty pretty. No one's standing out. There's no like David Rudisha. Whereas in the 15, there seems to be so many races like where, you know, there's high caliber athletes. And also, like you said there, domestically, do you think you've done this before because you went to Belgium or Germany last year to do a 15, I think? Is that where you ran your personal best? 2020, yeah. Do you think that's important to do that now because sort of in the UK specifically, domestic races aren't really that quality um, for whatever reason that might be? Yeah, 2020 was a matter of like, lockdown things like that there wasn't really any races on in england so we had to kind of me and josh thought we were sat at home and just thought we've got to do something about it we've just got to go out there and get it a lot of people were moaning about that, not being any races but you had to do your research and like we were translating german pages german websites into english and stuff trying to get in races and contacting people on instagram and stuff uh, so i managed to get a couple of races but to be fair this year like a couple of domestic races were quick like the watford bmc and Sports City BMC were both quick. Yeah. Because there were guys that wanted to make the race and like get after it. Like the under 23 sort of category was pretty strong. Um, so hopefully that carries on this year. Uh, I am going uh, for a couple of um, races abroad for the indoor season, just because there's a bit of a lack of races indoors this year. Um, and that the BMC races only really go up to like, I know they put a new one up at the start of Feb, but that was, that was only recently. Um, so yeah, just trying trying to get a couple of a bit of experience of like travel with racing and things like that, which hopefully I'll have I'll have to do this summer or whatever if I get up, get get good opportunities. Um, yeah. So yeah, I know it sounds daft as well, but I think when you travel for a race, you're sort of mentally more prepared for it. Like Armar, I think was my first like taste of traveling for a race. Obviously, you've been to the Bahamas for the Commonwealth, was it Bahamas? So it's a bit different, but like. I think when you travel, you sort of know you're there to do business kind of kind of thing. Whereas if you go 30 minutes down the road, it's sort of a bit, sometimes a bit harder to sort of get in that mindset that you're going to there to race fast, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it's um, to an extent, but then when you start doing it every other weekend, then it's mm. not so much a special thing and it's more of a chore then. Because then, like, then when you start doing it often, it's like, oh, well, mine just a two-hour drive to Watford or whatever and just go and bang it out and come home. Because then you end up like, oh, my was different because you knew everyone there and it was a bit, a bit of a buzz around it. But when you're sat in a hotel room all day, um, it's tough. And it, but it's part of being an international athlete. You've got to kill a lot of time. There's a lot of time to kill, isn't there? So, um, yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all experience. So we've got to, you've got to get better at it because everyone does it. You, you mentioned killing time there. Obviously, you're coming out in South Africa where on an altitude training camp. What are you sort of doing when you're not training? I know you've just had exams, so that's one thing. If you're not getting a Sama for cheat to cheat for you in the language yeah. ones, but so what, yeah. what sort of are you doing to kill time? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, it's not actually altitude. We're not. We're we're we're. In oh, is it not? 
Okay. We're in Stellenbosch where it's just really hot. Um, Got you. Kind of the same stimulus as altitude because everything's really hard, basically. Uh, like the easy running's so tough uh, out here. Um, but in between, yeah, I've had exams, like you say, I've had four exams while I was over here, uh, which have been a bit annoying and tough to balance because I do economics and the exams are very long and they're open book, but they're very long and essay based. I had like three, they're all three and a half hours. Um, yeah, which, which was yeah. quite, quite balanced. And like with maps training, uh, it's not like you have, you don't have like one session a week and the rest of it's like lots of easy running and stuff like that. There's quite a lot of sessions and things. So there was a matter of like, um, doing a session really early and then running, rushing back and doing an exam or having a session in the evening after an exam and both of them just you're just not really with the session like you're not you just feel a bit flat um, but this last week I've been managed to recover a little bit and get a couple of good sessions in where I've not been had that fatigue but yeah, other than that like I'm I can't complain mate it's unbelievable you know what I mean it's like there's, there's even if you get bored you just look out the window you know what I mean so, yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine, say, if you're somewhere like Fontenot at this time of year, it, you're definitely not on holiday mode. But is it hard to sort of stay out of holiday mode? Because like on holiday, I don't know if anyone's gone on holiday in, in season before, but trying to train when you're on holiday, it's it's not the one, really. Like the heat. Yeah, and just, yeah it, it's been easy enough. I mean, obviously, I'm living, I'm living with Dan Rowden, Josh Lay uh, and Sean, who are all quite experienced, especially Dan. Um, so it's been good to sort of learn from, learn from the likes of Dan on how to sort of handle yourself on these kind of trips. Uh, but it's also a matter of like, you kind of just want to be inside and want to just be, recover because the training's mm. really hard. Um, and you think, well, why, why do I want to go walk around town or go to a zoo or whatever when I've got a session to do tonight or tomorrow and it's important? Like, you don't really have a desire to. So it's just a matter of trying to recover while you can. We have, we're lucky enough to have a really nice house here and there's a nice pool and stuff like that. So you can, you can relax that way. But yeah, it's a matter of just, you don't actually, it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, you've got to stay really disciplined and stay in a cool house, but you don't really have a desire to go out and walk around because it's just, you're just knackered. Yeah. And I also think when you get to sort of the level that you guys are at, it's sort of, it's not so much training as an accessory anymore. Like even for me at, right now, I'm not in a training camp, but like a double day in a run. It takes up a lot of the day without realizing, like you're talking warm up. If you're doing a double session, which I know you've done a few times, warm up session and warm down, and then pretty much you're getting back, eating, recovering, and before you know it, it's time for the extra session. So there's not actually yeah. that much time. No, no, the, the, there isn't that much spare time. We've had, we've had one rest day with, in which, again, it was just like, right, this is the rest day. We've got to, we've got to just try and recover. It wasn't even yeah. like, oh, let's do fun. It was like, so the, the, the thing we have is like we, we go out to eat quite a lot because here the food is so cheap. It's like ridiculous. It's like four pounds for a Nando's or whatever, like for a full Nando's. Um, so yeah, we, we could do that in, in an evening, which, which is fine. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of, just a matter of, yeah, recovery. It's so hot. It's been like 40 odd degrees on some days, which is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, yeah, just try to keep a balance. So, so in terms of your training, without giving away too many secrets, I know I know Matt is big on quality, um, and obviously you're training with an Olympian in Dan Rowden, and you're also training with Josh, who I guess is a seasoned sort of international GB runner now. Um, so, sort of where where I guess do you sort of fit in with their training? Because I'm guessing they are 
technically more speed, speed inclined and you're somewhat a bit more aerobically inclined in comparison to them. How has it sort of been yeah. training with them and then sort of fitting in like work and stuff like that or your specific training? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been interesting, this sort of transition and trying to um, almost like Matt's still trying to get me to do like snap out of like just being a, um, a BMC runner that's a fan of the sport, mm. which is what I have been. I'm a fan of the sport. I am that at heart, like, um, and trying to snap out of that and be like, right, I'm meant to be here. Um, and actually be engaged but yeah the, the, the training is I think the philosophy is um, I actually asked him about this the other day and it was just like a lot of good work under a lot of fatigue uh, which I haven't really had before it's just more like lots of easy running and lots of longer reps and stuff like that um, but yeah it's a lot more specific especially out here like we put in the work over October November time it wasn't very specific there it was just more um, maybe one track session a week and the rest are like a mixture of hills and tempo work and like bike sessions and things like that. He likes uh, cross training, take sort of um, in impact off. Yeah, I haven't really done much cross training out here though. I've just been quite a lot of easy running. But yeah, at the moment out here, I've been training with Osama, um, who obviously won that 3K before he came, just before he came out, uh, which was like not really a surprise to anyone. He's, he, he's been going very well. Um, well, anyone here anyway, he's been going very well. So me and him are the only ones racing indoors here. I think Josh is going to dab a bit, but me and Osama are the only ones properly racing. So it's just been, I've been training with him mostly, um, which has been tough because obviously the guy's like, he's like 25 and is very aerobic and in, in very good shape. Uh, so it's just been a matter of, it, it, it helped, it's helped that like he ran that before he came out. So in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, right, let's just hang on to him here. I don't have to be, you know, like, this guy's around 7.15, will probably run, well, will run quicker than that this year. Um, so, yeah, it, it's taken a bit of a weight off. And Matt's very good at, in the sessions. It keeps you engaged and it's very focused on how is this going to improve my 1500, which hasn't mm. really been the case in the past. It's like, I think the, the normal thing to go to thing to do is just train like a 5K runner or even a 10K runner for the whole of the winter and then have like four, week, four weeks of a little bit specific work and then you're ready to race where Matt doesn't really have that. It's more just like, if you're racing a 15, say I want to run 58 seconds per lap, let's do loads of work at 58 seconds per lap and below. So yeah. you get that. And it's got to a stage where, obviously I questioned it at first, because like, it's very, it's a bit different. Um, but now it's like, it's weird. It's like, I feel really uncomfortable on the longer stuff we do. If we do a grass session and stuff like that, I feel a little bit out of place. Then as soon as we do like a 58 or a 59 on a track, it, that just feels like that's what I'm meant to be running at. Um, so yeah it's weird it's, it's, it's a change but I'm embracing the change something had to change because it wasn't really working I, I didn't think like people think I had a good season last year but I don't think it was that great I had to, I had to kick on and do something if I really wanted to make a statement so yeah the, the, the training like going back to your question the, tra the, the general training philosophy is um, specific and hard so yeah sorry I just had to I'll edit that bit out I just had to move rooms but you mentioned there like training like getting used to training, feeling tired, sort of how miserable is that on a day-to-day -day basis when you're like warming up for a session, you you still feel like your legs have got like yeah. shit in them because it's just not yeah. nice. So for example, like this week, um, we had a hard session Tuesday, uh, which went really well. It was a good session. And a bit of a recovery day yesterday, we had gin and a couple of easy runs. 
And then this morning, me and Asamo are back at the track for another track session. So you're kind of warming up. To, and another thing which, like, I don't like personally, but it, it works for some, uh, Matt never tells us the session until, like, five minutes before we start, or like, ten minutes before we start, which sometimes really gets to me um, and I struggle with. Uh, but it, and it's always like, or if you ask him the day before, like, oh, what's the session tomorrow, Matt? He'll reply with, it's, it's either three different things. There's three categories, either fast, hard, or tough. And the hard, that goes in that order. It's it, it, the only thing he'll say. If he says tough, you're in, you're in trouble. That's like really hard. Hard is like normal. That's like a normal session. And then fast will be like a bit of an easier session. Uh, that's, that's from my experience so far. But when he says tough, it's like you're in trouble. Uh, but yeah, it, it's tough mentally, like warming up, um, thinking, like looking at the times he put that. For example, today, our first rep was meant to be a 157, 800, just like yeah. straight out of the back. Um, and he likes like really short recoveries in, in sets. So, we'd have, so for example, our first couple of reps today were 800, 30 seconds, 400. So it, it's tough. And it's like you warm up for that and you, you're tired. That's the kind of session you want to be fresh for and you're not. Um, so it's tough mentally, but you just got to trust the process really and trust what he's, just what he's saying, yeah? Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to comprehend that that session, sort of try and sort it out into my time. So I'm guessing it's sort of, we are in January still. So is that sort of 1500 pace or like 157? Like, do you think that's sort of similar to well, what you're expecting or? It's a pace that he thinks I can run at for a 1500 right now. Um, but obviously think there's different variables with like indoor tracks and the right yeah. races and things like that. Um, yeah. I'd be happy to PB indoors. I think I'm in a position to do that um, and, you know, compete at the British champs and things like that. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, again, specific, that, that's like simulating a race really. Um, mm. 800. And it's like, you, you know, you know that centri- uh, Matthew Centuritz workout Wednesday where his dad says, oh, anyone can run fast when they've got rest. Yeah. It's like the more I'm training at this like elite level in this elite group, I'm starting to realize these little quotes and snippets that you'd hear from other people. It gets contextualized like, and put into a bit where that actually makes sense. And it's like, oh, right, I see what you mean now. Like, I could have gone out there and done, probably done, you know, four 800s off five or eight minutes or whatever and ran 157s, 158s and felt really good about myself because I've done loads of stuff at that. But it's, at the end of the day, you've got to put that back to it's right. Uh, at the end of the day, you've got to put that back to back in a race, haven't you? So yeah, it's tough. It, it was a um, hard session today, which it always is. So yeah, yeah, and I think you when you get used to sort of racing on running on tied legs, my fr- my voice has completely gone after that. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, when you get used to sort of training on tied legs, is what I was meant to say. You sort of forget what it's like to feel good, and you sort of lose a bit of confidence. Like I'm at that point point at the minute where. I'm training tired all the time and you lose confidence and like trust in yourself that you can actually perform because everything always feels bad all the time. Is that sort of where you're, where you're at? Or does it kind of help that you have training partners who are also in the same kind of boat as you? Cause like I train by myself. So I think it's a bit different because everything's solo. And sort of when you hit targets solo, you're like, I'm back. Yeah. So I'm, I've, I've mentioned this, I'm at Julian's house and for some reason, is Wi-Fi changes from the BT open Wi-Fi to then BT hub. So it just cut off. What, what was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, getting used to training on tired legs then would knock your confidence a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I was saying that just because like, I train by myself and like when I've been set targets to hit, 
if no one else is experiencing that pain with me and feels bad as well, it sort of really knocks your confidence. But does it help that you've got training partners who are also sort of in the same boat? Yeah, but then, it, yeah, I, I absolutely 100% agree. Uh, it's getting to that point now where it's like, ah, uh, like, that, like, for example, that 157 this morning, it was like, oh, like, have I got to really do another 700 metres of that, like, in a race or whatever? Um, but, you, but if you're fresh enough, hopefully I'll, I'll feel a lot easier at that pace. And it doesn't really help when you've got a Sama who's like, can recover quite well um, and is in very good shape. Uh, he doesn't really, never really seems to be that tired in a, in a session. It'll show up saying, "Oh, I'm really sleepy," and that. But then when the session starts, it's, it's not <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, like you say, it, does, it knocks confidence a little bit. But that that just comes from, which is another major key in athletics: just trusting your coach and trusting the training. Uh, yeah, just do it, just tick it off. Because older me would have like, not not necessarily that one, but a few sessions where like you see a split you're not happy with and just go, "Oh, I'm not doing this. I'm too tired today." But instead, you just, if you just finish it, it's like you feel a lot better about it. Even if it's not going how you want it to, you know, you still feel like you've done it at least. Yeah. I just want to give some context for people who probably don't know who Osama is. He did yeah. outkick Jake Whiteman um, two weeks ago indoors or three weeks ago. And if for some reason no one knows who Jake Whiteman is, he is a 329, 1500-meter runner, mm-hmm. Olympic finalist. Yeah. So that's sort of the caliber you're training with. And with no disrespect to you, obviously – you have progressed quite a lot in the last two years, but sort of that caliber is sort of where you're sort of trying to step up to next, isn't it really? That sort of next oh, yeah. level. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm definitely by no means um, at that level from that previous result or anything like that. Um, hopefully, yeah, that's the kind of level I'll start to step up to this year. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't want to set myself up for failure, right? But uh, hopefully I'll start looking at that sort of, Sort of he's definitely fitter than me at the moment, but I've been okay with him in training. It's not been, it's not been in a totally different league. Yeah, I mean, Osama was doing, you know, cross-country like relays and stuff, wasn't he, as well? So he's sort of, you got that sort of early winter base. I think that definitely helps you sort of get into yeah. indoor Yeah, season. I think uh, he's, he's focusing more on the 3K as well. Like he wants to go to uh, the World Indoor 3K, which he will go to. He'll, he'll do yeah. For it. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to do 1500s indoors. I might dabble in a 3K, but like, so the, the, the stimulus is a little bit different. So yeah, he's a little bit more aerobic than me at this point. And I'm probably a little bit faster than him. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, and what, what sort of your plans? I know we spoke about this before the podcast started, but what are you sort of looking at for the indoor season uh, in terms of races and sort of dates and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, so I've got a, a 1500 in Miramas in France uh, on the 4th of Feb, when me and Osama are both doing that, both doing a 1500 there, uh, which would be good. It's a good opportunity. Um, shout out my agent, Sam, uh, Head Start Management, uh, for sorting that out for me. So I fly there on the 3rd or, or something like that. Um, it's a good opportunity. It's quick field. They're going out at like 3.37 pace. So um, try and hang in for as long as possible, basically. Uh, and then after that, I might do that BMC, which on the 9th of, 9th of Feb. Lee Valley one. Yeah, Lee Valley one, yeah, which I don't really like the track, but whatever. Uh, and then after that, yeah, British Champs, books indoors, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, see, see how things go. Try, try and just run, run reasonably quick, basically. So my, my concern is if you do books indoors, would you also be in the 3K? 
because of the Loughborough's stacked. And I think, I'm guessing 1,500 yeah. and 800 have already been sorted. No, I'm doing the 15. Okay. Okay. That's okay. That's just yeah. just looking out for myself. I just want to make sure that it's yeah. not... I know, you're doing, I know you're doing the 3K and I think you'll, you'll definitely have a good chance in that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if anyone's listening who's also doing the 3K and you want to take it out really, really fast in the final, then please, please do so. Um, yeah. it, I really appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, yeah. What you say, sorry? I'm looking forward to books. I'm looking forward to some like championship racing and stuff this year. It'll be good. Are you just scrapping cross country completely? I know you've done books cross in the past and stuff. You're just like, at, at this point, why? Why would I do cross sort of thing? It's one of them. It's like when I say I wanted to be a bit more specific. Um, I quite I got into really like 2019. I was quite enjoying doing a full cross country season, and then after that, I wanted to do Mansfield Cross. I was meant to do that, but I um, I entered too late or something. I don't know. They couldn't get me in, even though it's like my home course. It's like where I train. Uh, so yeah, that makes that, sense. That, yeah, I think I was around well over 1500 meter cross country, which is a bit of a different ball game. Uh, but yeah, no, no, no cross countries, um, just indoors, really. I think yeah. you have to ask me, just indoors and then go back, try and get fitter, maybe take a bit of a break after indoors, try and get fitter and then come back. Guns blazing for the summer. Yeah. Are you, are you planning another training camp sort of in that time, do you think, or you reckon just? We'll probably go away in Easter again. I don't know where though. Don't Portugal or something like that. Yeah, that'd be a bit more like probably intense not like this hasn't been intense but more intense to where like everyone else is getting ready like Dan um, like Dan's kind of just going through the motions at the moment like he's not doing indoors he's just sort of getting training in um, so I haven't really seen him in full flight yet uh, so yeah then the, the, it will be sort of yeah turning the gas on for that for that camp um, yeah and before we get on to sort of I, want, I do want to specifically talk about Dublin and is that, that's your first GB vest isn't it Technically, oh, yeah. first. So, first of all, let's go back to your, I guess, your first sort of big international race, and that was probably the Youth Commonwealth Games in 2018, 2017. Wow. It's COVID just messed it up. Like it was 2019 last year, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. So, sort of, how was that experience sort of setting you up to guess, like, sort of see a serious future in the sport? Because, I mean, meddling in a Commonwealth Games, like Youth Commonwealth, is a pretty big deal. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was um, it was tricky, really. I've mentioned this in, in another interview, uh, but it was almost like a gift and a curse. To where I had a lot of success very early on. I know a, a lot of you listeners. Um, so when I was in high school, essentially, like or like early year, I don't know what year you are, year eleven. I was sixteen anyway. Um, I just turned sixteen, and I ran three forty nine for the fifteen hundred meters. Uh, and medaled at the, at the Commonwealth Youth Games, uh, got a bronze there, and everything was coming great. I think I finished ranked like 13th in the world or something for under 18 that year, and I was bottom age. Um, so it was like a massive breakthrough year, and I just thought I was the man, and thought that everything was going to keep going up and up and up from there. Um, and the experience was amazing uh, in the Bahamas and winning races that year. And then it just kind of plateaued for a couple of years just kind of the the come down from that event and that season uh it was hard to come back from because it was so so like amazing that year it, it was hard to ever really live up to that when I, mean, I was going back to the UK and training on my own at Mansfield and things like that it 
just never really lived up to it. And I just got a bit complacent thinking that was just like the dog's bollocks, basically. You know what I mean? And thinking, oh, well, I've made it here, which realistically, I ran 3.49. Like, it's good for a 16-year-old, but in the grand yes. scheme of things, it's nothing. Like, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's a good time. It won't get you anywhere. Like, so no, I, I, had no one to, I had no one really around to tell me that at the time, uh, which I wish someone just would have just said, you know, you need to snap out of it. Like, you've not made it. And that then, but then, sure enough, if, if um, someone doesn't tell you, you'll, you'll find out eventually. So I got, I got found out the following year and didn't, didn't PB. Um, which I think happens to a lot of like top, top juniors or top youths at one point. You know, you have that first season where you don't PB for a season. It's like massively threw me off, like, like mental health, like where I saw myself because of running. Um, just yeah, just hit a bit of a downward, downward spiral really came from that, uh, where I just didn't really want to run anymore, to be honest. Um, but managed to, yeah, keep, keep in the sport because I'm a fan of the sport for one. And I, I'm just, yeah, really into it and obsessed with it. So I, I, I um, was able to kind of get the ball rolling the other way again and get some PBs going and stuff in sixth form. I just, I just struggled throughout sixth form and then came to university started getting coached by George Gandhi, uh, who had an influence in Sevco's career, for people who don't know, um, is head, was the head coach at Loughborough. And then, yeah, sort of got me back on my feet, really, with running and sort of found the Loughborough again, became a little bit more relaxed with it because there, there was a social element to it. Um, so, yeah, the Bahamas in general, I'd say a gift and a curse. It was an amazing experience while I was there, but sometimes I actually wish that like it didn't happen almost mm. just like go through the sport like for the love of it not from like the rewards of it yeah I, I know mine's on a completely different spectrum to yours because it was just an international race in Spain but Joe and I got selected for England and then went and sort of did better than expected I, I came third like behind Tom Mortimer and then Wazim who's around like 13 minutes for 5k now um somehow um but from that, I was, I think you get a bit complacent when you sort of go to the next level and then you instantly perform well at the next level. And you sort of like, where do you go from here? Like returning back home, like you said, it's sort of, you don't really know where your place is because you've just performed well internationally, but then you come back here. And then if you don't perform well, perform well domestically, you sort of like, what's gone wrong? And I think that does have like a spiral effect on your performance. And it's, it does take a few years to get out of it. And I mean, you obviously... I mean, we've, we've started seeing better performances again in the last two years, I guess, since COVID. So it was hard to sort of show shape early on, I guess. Yeah. But sort yeah. of what does this sort of season mean in terms of like your first opportunity to sort of grab an international vest in like the qualification of Liverpool? You obviously oh. managed to get it. So sort of what does that mean? And then like, take us through yeah. that experience. Right, it, was, um, it was something that, you know, people say it was a target, but like I'd almost given up on the idea of running for GB. Mm. Like the opportunities in the past kind of just slipped me, like passed me by, and I, I didn't really make them. I felt I, I fell short a couple of times, um, and it was something that wasn't. I just ruled it out. Like even coming into this winter, like that that trial race wasn't a target at all. Uh, the qualifying time was, was quicker than my PB anyway. The qualifying time was like three forty one. Uh, so I found that strange. I, first of yeah, all, yeah. Just with... I think they were being a bit optimistic with who they thought was going to show up. I think. Mm. Anyway, um, 
it got to nearer the date and I'd entered the 10K cross just to go and get round, just a bit of a training or whatever. And um, yeah, I got, I got in. I found out, I think I found out maybe just under 10 days before or whatever, like nine days before. And it was like, right, well, like, I should probably do something specific. And I did a 1500 meter session the Tuesday before, uh, Tuesday before the race and the race was Saturday. Uh, and that went okay. And then Matt was like, Oh, you, you'll win this. You'll win the trial. I was like, right, yeah, sure, I will. We're gonna think. It's like it was just like, what are you on about? Because um, the field was, it was a good field. Like these guys were in that three thirty nine, a lot of sub four milers in it and stuff. Uh, older guys. I always just wanted to come out top five initially, mm. and then, but having him there and like telling me I was going to do it and like having him on my side and talking me through on race day, um, like I knew, and I'd also vi- visualize it the week leading up like so vividly that during the race like I just knew what to do it wasn't really a panic station it was like this is what I'm going to do I'm going to be in the top four at this point I'm going to move around at this point this is it this is the 800 meter mark etc which I, I think made the difference because I think if you ran that race again then it might have been a different outcome um, mm. it, it was very close finishing. and it obviously yeah held everyone off in the home straight um, and managed to come second which was automatic uh, qualification and saw Ben West who was my housemate as well had won it um so i knew me and him were both going which was yeah pretty mad experience um pretty mad day yeah surreal really because then like you get your kit sent through and stuff like that and it's like i never thought this would be me yep <laughs> you see that's what you see other people posting on social media you know what i mean so yeah it was, I, do, uh, I do know what you mean yeah i do <laughs> yeah well yeah no i think was that I do want to ask about the impact of, I guess, Dublin as well. Was that race sort of like a certain kick or was it just deceivingly like that because of it was on cross and it was really windy that day? It was, um, what, are you talking about, what, the relay? Yeah, no, the, the Liverpool qualification, was that kind of like a... Yeah, Liverpool. Um, it was tricky, yeah, it was really windy, really windy. Uh, and it was like, a few people let it out, um, and I was able to sit in. I remember sitting on James, James McMurray's shoulder and I was able to just sit in and sit in. And it was weird, yeah. So it didn't go off that hard because of the wind. Yeah, you went down this ho- went down this um, starting straight, you turned left and you're straight into the wind. Uh, mm. Then you came out the wind on the downhill at Liverpool, downhill. Then there was obviously a 90 degree, 180 degree turn, right hand turn. And in the home straight, it was all into the wind. So people were barely moving in that home straight. Like I was barely, I remember feeling, like turning the home straight and thinking like, and like trying to kick and I had nothing, like nothing came of it. It was just like all arms, like the wind was just hitting you. Um, and it was just, it wasn't a matter of people kicking. It was just like people were falling away. Like yeah. People were going and then going and just, yeah, it was just felt like, and then that last 50 meters where I was in second just felt like forever. I was like, just please get me to the line here. My legs are totally gone. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the wind, the wind definitely, definitely played a factor. It might help me a little bit because I was able to sit in and I play my cards right, but it's part of the game, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's a race, got to play your cards right. Yeah. And I, th- I think, and I mean, looking at that race on the day and seeing in the women's side, we got, um, Alex Bell and who was the second one for the women's was it who sorry yeah, yeah Hannah Nuttall so we obviously Alex Bell Olympic finalist so we knew mm-hmm. that we knew the standard there was going to be a good team but did you sort of expect 
going into the relays that you would medal get gold because obviously they won it the year before I think if that's right, right. Um, and I guess with quite a youthful team with you and Ben how how did you thought think that race, race would pan out and I guess how did you then feel when you were that far up when you were yeah, yeah. And- it, it, it was again yeah a bit of a that whole three weeks was very surreal because it was like um, you, you, you cross line at the trial and it's elation and you're buzzing and then Matt turns to me as like well A you should have won why didn't you win uh, for one uh, and B it was like right now you've got to perform when you're there you need to get the top three fastest leg time that's what he said uh, which was the target and so we get there well no obviously then I'm a bit of a stat nerd I, I started looking at the other teams and who would be on the, on the other teams and it became clear that like the French team are going to be very good uh, the Irish team are going to be very good and every other team like they all had good teams and we were probably me and Ben probably had some of the slowest PBs like track PBs in the field uh, but I think A me and Ben were both a bit more prepared because we had like an out and out trial that we were getting ready for mm. um, and also obviously Alex Bell was like the secret weapon so I think the plan was always there's was, was a lot of variables that led to us winning it uh, by no means will we favourites I don't think people like someone said in the commentary that when I look back like, oh yeah they should win this I was like I'm not doing your research like these guys the, the, the French team had a 331 guy and a 334 guy like, it, like it, there were no pushovers um, so the, the plan was always going to be have um, Hannah on the, on the first leg just to try and keep us in it and mine was just, my job was the same just try and keep us in it basically I got, I got it in sixth and and get it back in six, I think, but it, it just didn't, the gap didn't really grow. So um, it, it enabled Alex just to have enough room to like put a massive, um, a massive shift in for us. We knew she was, she was better than all the women on that leg. A lot of the teams, another variable was a lot of the teams front loaded their teams with all their best guys and girls on the first couple of legs, uh, which didn't really work for them. So when Alex got it, she just blew everyone away in that, in her leg. And then Ben got it um, with a big lead and was able just to put a massive surge in like the first 400 metres. I, I don't know if you watched it, he was absolutely yeah. flat at uh, the first 400. I was watching the screen that if he blows up it, it's going to be embarrassing. Uh, and that kind of made everyone else almost Race give for up. second. Yeah. 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 Everyone, started, everyone started racing for second, which... Maybe if they actually didn't and worked together, they might have just caught him. But I don't think so. He, he was obviously, he was very strong. Um, he, had a, he had a good run. So, yeah, th- th- that, was a, that was a big factor. And he was able to, yeah, to, to hang on and come across the line. It was just, again, surreal. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, like, <laughs> like these are things that I've given up on. These are, these are images and scenes that I've given up on like, ever, ever really happening. Um, I had, I had a lot of smaller goals for myself that, that, that winter. And yeah, being on the podium and stuff and like hearing National Anthem, I was like, what the hell is going on here? I was like looking around like, like yeah. I some sort of, uh, so yeah, that whole experience was just cool. And also like, me, like it was difficult not to be um, like a tourist when you're there. Like you're in the hotel and Jakob walks past you at breakfast. Yeah. Or like Gert's there in the lobby. Uh, you know, Cripper and Julian Wonders, like these athletes that I'd like seen on TV and I like, idolise um, were right there. 
And it's like, yeah, it, it, it was weird. So it was like, you had to kind of snap yourself out of it. Like you're here to do a job. You're here to actually perform. Um, the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it was just cool. The whole experience was, was very cool. I didn't didn't speak to Jakob at all, but we were um, in the medal ceremony tent with him. Like he came because his race was after ours. So he came, he came in with all the medalists and some Jimmy Gressier and that. Um, so yeah, I was kind of sat there. Me and Ben looked at each other and like looked at the French team, looked at the Belgian team who came third, and these athletes are like, like just like superhumans. We're like, how the hell have we beat all these guys? Uh, so but, yeah, it was mad. It is quite, it is quite funny thinking about it, and also relating back to your house as well. Like you and Ben have a European gold medal, a senior European gold medal, and Josh doesn't have a. That any European gold medal either. So, like, if you look back, it's kind of funny to say that, that you you're the ones with the European gold medal. Um, yeah, the football, yeah. Um, but yeah. also, like, go on, go on. Uh, I was just going to say, like, you you mentioned like giving up on GB GB vests and stuff like that. What? How much did that race change? You think your entire running career, or do you think it was more just uh, it was inevitably going to happen? Even if you did give up, do you think this moment that moment was always going to happen? to then transition to the next level? Or do you think because of that moment, you've sort of changed mindsets? Yeah, yeah. You've hit, you've hit the nail on the head again, really. Like the, the mindset has definitely changed. And it just shows you that in this sport, four minutes of madness of your life could just like change your life. Mm. That's why like, you've got to be ready for every race, every opportunity that's presented to you and just see it as a massive opportunity and don't really see it more as an excitement other than being nervous for it. Like, just be excited for it. Because... Like I say, if, th- if something had gone differently in that home straight at the trial, like if I'd have got my foot in, in, in the wrong place or slipped or whatever, or someone was a little bit better on the day, um, things would be a lot different. Like my outlook on athletics would be a lot different. Um, so yeah, it's just about performing when you've got the chance. And I remember warming up at the Europeans and obviously there's like 10,000 people there watching Like you could hear it. Like it was almost like a football stadium when you're outside a football stadium. And uh and Matt, Matt said to me, like, this will either be, this can either be your only GB vest, like where you just come and you soak it up, or it could be your first of many. And I think it was like, right, okay. Like, let's actually get in the mindset that I'm meant to be here now. Um, yeah, and I was in that mindset and then got the bat on and these three, no, two guys that are all like, they're both like 6'4", came flying past me on the downhill. I was like, oh God, this is a bit of a different league. Uh, but I managed to help. Uh, the, the hit, there were some hills and I was, I'm quite strong on the hills and they kind of helped me stay in it a bit um, and make up some ground. So yeah, yeah, like you say, it's definitely changed my outlook to, to say like, look, this is possible. Like these guys are all human. Uh, these guys at this top level and they're not really, to be honest, they're not really training that much harder than you. It's just a matter of have they got it right on it? Have they got little tweaks different, like race day tactics and specific training? Like the training is not necessarily harder; it's just better. It's just better training. Uh, and years and years of sort of having that yeah. training under the belt probably a big factor yeah, as well. Yeah. And a bit of talent as well. A lot of them are quite talented. But. 
yeah, I think I think you've got to be somewhat talented uh, to be sort of. I, I don't know actually. I don't really like saying that, but then also running is quite a lot of genetics as well. Like looking, like thinking about it. You know, I guess it depends on how long your legs are and stuff like that. I think anyone can make it, but it definitely helps having like freakishly long legs or. Yeah, you know. no, these are the thoughts that I had though, mate. Like, these are the thoughts that I was having. Like, look, I've got I've got short legs. Like, Same. I'm not I'm not really built like a runner. It's like my stride legs got massive, and you see these guys, and it's like, okay, well, you have a different. You can either take the outlook, or you can have a different outlook and say, well, okay, I've got shorter legs, but I've got faster turnover than these guys. Um, I can, you know, maybe get off the mark a bit quicker or change your pace quicker than these guys who are very lopy and long legged and can't really switch on and change gears takes a while, while so you can get a gap and things like that and you're just a bit more efficient uh, with energy you just got you just have to have that sort of positive outlook on it and Matt's helped me with that again you, you have to just stop ruling yourself out because of them kind of things because you have other attributes that you're stronger than others in and, and stop believing stop believing that that really yeah I think I guess I think that's a good a good point for anyone sort of listening because I had the same sort of, I was in Leeds doing some lab testing uh, a few weeks ago and they measured your your height and then measured your legs. And they literally pretty much laughed at how short my legs were in comparison to my body. That like they were shocked and they're like, what's, that shouldn't be it. And for me for, to think about that and then think like, well, running's a leg sport. I took, it took quite a few weeks to sort of get over the fact that I've, I'm, I'm here now anyway. And I'm with these people who might have longer legs or whatever. But it is, you've got different qualities, like your turnover can be faster or just because the legs are longer doesn't mean that your stride length is any different because you could have a more efficient stride. So it sort of, it took me quite a while to get out of that mindset of like, you're never going to be as good as you possibly can because you have got short legs. And I'm not saying I've got tiny legs, but like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of... I've got tiny legs. I've got tiny legs. Like I remember I was at mini marathon camp once and I measured him next to Josh Dickinson, who is a lot smaller than me. Like he's like yeah. quite a bit but we have the same length legs. Where, where did you measure it from? Where did you measure it from? Hip. The hip? Is it the hip, the hip bone or the side bone? Because I got measured from the side bone, Joe, you know, like sort of, I guess, beneath your glute, next to your glute, but then there's also the hip bone. Okay. And mine was 88 centimetres from uh, the side bone. So it's like probably three inches lower than your hip. And I was just like, right. yes, it's kind of depressing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that that got me down for a few years. To be fair, go <laughs> looking at like obviously Josh was Josh was the top guy as a junior and whatever, and his legs are like so long, stuff like that. But yeah, you, you just I don't know. Like we did a two hundred meter, like just for example, we did a two hundred meter rep on Tuesday, our last rep, and he flew off the bend and had really used his long legs and opened up his stride. And Matt was telling me fast feet, fast feet, fast feet. Whereas the whole time I've been thinking, I know I had to get a longer stride to compete with these guys was like, well, why not? Why not? I just use my strengths anyway. And it got sort of thought, okay, faster feet, faster feet. And I started reading him in. Mm. in, in the t- like, okay, right. That's a, that's a strength that I can use. And it's not actually a weakness. I've actually stopped, stopped just trying to like copy these guys and think, okay, I'm my own athlete. And I can, I like people, look, you know, people can look at me and think, oh, I want to run like that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like I was very much like, I need to get a longer stride. And my, my Google search history is like how to grow three, three inches of your legs and stuff like that. It's pretty bad. But like, I think if you work on what you've got and it really helps actually having, there's a reason why you've got spikes on a track is so you can get extra grip and traction. And if you're having more steps to push off, if you can do that right, you're getting a lot more power through. So, I mean, 
you know, it works both well. It's like, I think if you look at the, I mean, sprinters, for example, Christian Coleman's 60 meter world record holder, he's tiny. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. what, what really is the most efficient form? And like, I think we see that like the Kenyans, obviously they have got longer legs in proportion to the body, but like five foot, five foot six, five foot five. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. And their doping programs aren't very good either. So no, it's all, it's all different variables, mate, to be honest. Um, you just got to, just got to focus on yourself. Can't, can't, can't think of it. Can't overthink it. When you start overthinking it, then your head just goes. I'm a bit, I'm a bit like that. Well, well. well yeah, it's running so psychological. Like, I know this sounds daft, but like I was doing a session on Tuesday and it was like a 3K specific session and it was like two minutes rest. So it was relatively fast reps with two minutes rest. And I really struggle with lactic at the minute because I've got no, nothing on me. My, my, I'm so skinny, it's stupid. Uh, like, but I've got no muscles. So when I get lactic, I pop straight away. Like, I'm gone. So I was doing this session and... I think it was like 132, 600, two minutes rest, 74, 500, two minutes rest, 60, 59, 400, two minutes rest, 300 in like 42, two minutes rest, and then like an extra rest. So it's not that blisteringly quick, especially for me, it's quick, but like on the, I was supposed to do four, three or four sets. And after the second set, I was like, this is almost flat out now. And I just, and I think well, I just thought like, it was just hard though. And I was like, with this, I was like, I should, part of me was like, I want to stop after two sets. And some, somewhere I was like, are people who I'm racing going to be racing in books or British champs doing two sets and thinking, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Like, you know, yeah. you've got to think about that, haven't you? Like yeah. it's got, it's, it's got to a point where it's, you it's almost, you don't want to be in, want it to be enjoyable anymore. Like you can't enjoy it because if you're enjoying it and finding it comfortable, it's not right. If that makes sense. I think that, that, that was kind of what I was lured into a little bit at Loughborough. Like, I, like it was a positive thing because I was loving my running, really enjoying training. But then looking back, like they weren't that hard. Like the sessions weren't that hard. They, they were just quite aerobic and just you were never really pushing your limits really. And then you'd hit a wall, with, like you'd plateau a little bit where your tempos wouldn't get much better and stuff like that where, you know, you wouldn't really get that much aerobically fitting. It's, there's a, it comes a point where you've got to work on other things. Whereas, and also I was like, I became very obsessed with like weight as well. Mm. And there's probably something to be said for weight in athletics, but like I've always looked at myself as being about like a bit of a bigger athlete compared to these guys, like a bit like more like muscle mass on where I was like trying to, trying to lose, I was like trying to lose that muscle mass. Yeah. Um, now it's like my outlook's changed where it's like okay i'm naturally stronger than people um because like my back my back football background or whatever or genetically um i'm na naturally physically stronger so why don't i just use that to my advantage and turn that muscle into useful muscle so the gym programs implemented now have actually you know i've got i had upper body yesterday like upper body gym like proper gym sessions upper body and will our our snc guy the run yard um, who's a massive asset to us. He, he was saying, I was saying like, why do we do upper body kind of thing in the gym? He said, well, you don't, you don't just shift lactic acid out of your legs. Like you, your blood goes around your whole body. So if yeah. your upper body is longer and more efficient at shifting lactic acid, then it doesn't have to be shifted out of your legs. It can be shifted out of your arms as well. Like, which is a great point. Like, you know, when you finish a lactic session, it's like, oh, your arms are going like, or like, your arms yeah. are hurting and stuff. It's like, well, maybe you're just not strong. Your arms just aren't strong enough. You, you can't just, you can disperse the lactic acid in your legs, but in your arms, they're, not, they're too weak to do that. Um, 
I think that's been another key. Like the bottom line to my somewhat, we'll see this. I mean, we'll see this in door season, but was like my improvement is that I've stopped looking at these assets of myself of mine as that like, as a weakness. I say, okay, how can I use this genetic asset that I can't really get rid of? How can I use this as a strength? You know, how can I be on that start line, not looking at people saying, "Oh, he's skinnier than me." You say, "Oh, he's weaker than me," because he's skinnier than me. Yeah. So you. You just yeah, just it's a matter of outlook. It's what lens you put it through, really. Um, but again, like you say, I think probably I'm not a 10k guy or whatever. So maybe maybe you need to be dead skinny for that. But yeah, I think I think it's one of them because my obviously you've seen me on a start line before in a race race photos. It doesn't take long to see how skinny my arms are, but then it also doesn't take long to see how awful my form is down the last 200 meters. And that I think, like you mentioned, weight sort of. Obviously, in theory, there's an optimum weight for to be carrying yourself at, or in theory, technically, the lighter you are, the more efficient you are. But then also, that doesn't consider sustainability of consistency because you get injured because you're too skinny and you can't recover yeah. properly. And also, it doesn't consider finishing strong in a race or having strength when you get lactic. It doesn't consider those things. So when people look at weight and think, I need to be skinnier, it's like, what are you going to lose by becoming skinnier? Like, you might get better... I don't know. It's like easy running. Well, that's what I mean. You can't. Say. What, yeah. what, what does in your help? What you're carrying a little bit less weight around, around, mm. around the track. But that's again. That's that's just comes from looking at other people. That's from the lens of just looking at who like, who's at the top or whatever. And it's it, you have to look at like who are the people who look like you or like come from the same background as you. What are they doing? And you're looking at like lots of Jake Whiteman, how he's competing with these top guys. He isn't doing that by running 110 miles a week mm. because if you look at, say, Jakob, right? This is my theory anyway. This is my little nerdy theory. Look at Jakob. No one is ever going, especially in North of England, no one's ever going to catch that guy up aerobically. Like, you're mm. just not. You're not going to run. You can't run 12.45. For, it, he could probably run 57, 58 minutes for a half, right? So in the 1500, you're not going to beat him by being more aerobic than him. So you have to look at other strengths where you can you can beat him at aka your gym explosiveness lactic tolerance you know speed endurance uh flat out speed and you look at jake ramon on 329 he, you know he, he wouldn't i don't know if he'd run he wouldn't run that quick over 5k would he when he ran that so it you start getting these epiphanies and you think ah oh, actually maybe i don't need to just copy what el garouge was doing or or whatever it's like yeah. well you have to, you have to just, just yeah, focus on yourself, really. Well, Jakob's an enigma as well. Same with El Garouge. Like I was reading a study. It was actually from the Norwegian uh, person who kind of invented the sort of training method that Jakob does. And Gert was speaking to him and he asked about El Garouge. And the guide has said to him, El Garouge was a freak of nature. No one can ever replicate what El Garouge did. And that's yeah. sort of like, he still got beat in some races. Obviously, he's currently still the greatest of all time middle distance runner. But like, if you compare that to Jakob, Jakob's probably going to finish the, his career as maybe the greatest of all time or the best. Um, and for him to be a Norwegian kid, fair enough, he's specifically trained since he was eight, doing ridiculous. Like no one's ever going to catch that, like you said. But like, I guess it sort of shows that if he is going to be the best ever coming from a Norwegian family where he's technically probably on the heavy side, like his he's mm. upper body is quite heavy. He's, and he's, I think he's like six foot two, isn't he? He's taller in person, apparently. I've heard. Absolutely massive. Like, I yeah. don't know if that's just he is who he is, but it's like looking at, like, 
Yeah. Yeah. I saw him in Gateshead and I was like, is that Jacob? Because he was stood next to his dad. And it's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, but like he, he on paper shouldn't be the best ever. He on paper shouldn't be the best now, but he is. So I think, it, yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter. And like, you've got to look what suits you. And I think with you now, when you're training with Josh and Dan, doing certain sessions with them really works on your weaknesses of maybe the flat out speed. But then also yeah. when you have Osama to train with as well, it sort of gives a perfect combination. Like you're not expected to do all your sessions with Dan and Josh yeah. and not expect to do all your sessions as a 5K runner either. So it's individualization is a huge thing. And sort of when you went back to about training with Loughborough and also getting to that next level, it is very much that case of doing what suits you rather than doing what suits a group of like a training group. Yeah, yeah. which is another thing that's changed this year. Um, just obviously Loughborough, I love Loughborough. It's a great environment and stuff. But um, yeah, the, the, the training is very, obviously it's just a, it's a uni group, isn't it? Everyone does the same stuff. Uh, and mm. it's like, the same stuff doesn't work for everyone. The same stuff is not going to, give the same results to everyone because people have different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so yeah, it, you have to get, yeah, I, I just thought it's a shame. It's a shame because I love training with a group. But I just thought I've got to focus on myself for a little bit and get more specific. I think it helps mental toughness as well. Like knowing that sort of, if you either train as a two or a one, like doing your own sessions, it sort of really helps yeah. you actually putting the work in. I know we've been going for over an hour, so I'm going to, I'm going to finish off with some questions. We sort of asked everyone generically. Um, yeah. Some of these are a bit arbitrary in the fact I, I, I've started using the word arbitrary. I'm not, I'm not sure if I know what it means, but I'm just going to say it's that I, I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to answer these. So just give it your best shot. And if it's some sort of, I guess it wouldn't necessarily be the answer, but like, if you've got a way of answering it, then f- feel free. But like, so the first one is best decision you've ever made. Whew. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll, put it into a I'll put it into a running context because you don't like you can't I don't know yeah it's, it's I hard message I've yeah. ever made in my life but um, I think we'll see how this indoor season goes but it could well be changing coaches uh, to, mm-hmm. to like this, uh, from well, from being self-coached uh, I think that's probably the best decision or going to Loughborough Uni which kind of saved my career I think I probably would have quit if I didn't go to uni I would have quit running so uh, yeah, it, th- those two, pretty easy. Yeah, I think the butterfly effect has a massive effect on that. Like, if you didn't go to Loughborough, then you would have quit. So then, is it actually joining Matt or is it joining Loughborough kind of thing? But yeah, it, you know, it's. Yeah, I think it's more of like a generic biggest impact. And I think yeah, you, most of the time you don't know the best decision until ten years later because yeah. it's not happened yet. Um, the second one is actually next ten years. Again, it's a stupid question. I don't know why we've stuck with these because they don't make any sense. Next 10 years, where do you sort of see yourself? And like, where do you want to look back? No, that's a good question. A, like, good question. I like that. Um, it's a tough one. I think 10 years, I'll be, yeah, 31. I think just, I'd like to look back on my career, having given it all I can do and knowing how good I can be, basically. Mm. And my dad always, was always saying to me, like, when things weren't going my way, it was like, I don't really have, I didn't really have a support system behind me where it was tailored to me and I was doing everything right to where I, I knew how far I could go. And I've always thought about oh, maybe I should just pack this in or, or whatever because things weren't going well. Um, if I look back in 10 years' time and so say I gave running a good go, I've had a, a good coach, a good group, you know, and you get, it, it, if I get there and it's like I get everything, I'm just not good enough on the day, and I'm not just not good enough overall, then I can be sort of content with that, really. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I don't think, I, I might be just, it might not be true, but. 
Um, I don't think I'm going to be one of them guys that's going to be running until I'm, you know, really old or, or whatever and, and still competing and stuff. I think, um, yeah, it depends on how things are going. I think things are going. I'm taking sort of a season at a, t- a season at a time, really, uh, on how I'm enjoying it and how things are going and things like that. So maybe not. Maybe I won't be running in ten years. We'll see. Um, might get back into a bit of football or whatever or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, ten years time. Just look back at my career and think uh, I gave it a good go. Yeah. See, I'm a bit upset with my sort of ten year plan because I am more aerobically inclined. I, my trajectory is definitely going onto the roads and it's like prime marathon and it's just like I, do I want to be doing that when I'm in my 30s like 140 miles a week I think you should do a marathon soon there's a, big, there's a gap in the market for your marathons the, the half marathon world champs this, this year is tempting me it's in October I think so like you've got you've basically got an indoor season and even track season before you even start specific training so that's tempting but you know cars, yeah. do I, do I want to be uh, rubbish Jake Smith I don't think I want that for myself yeah, yeah but it doesn't matter like you, you, it, the first person to commit to it normally reaps mm. the reward that you like, you've seen like, the likes of Phil Sessman right he's been, he's been aspiring and the fact that he's took the leap mm. he ran what do you mean 212 high didn't that 212.50 yeah you know now he's got a contract from it he's you know flipping got on the news and things like that you know from, from just taking that taking that leap because there's a there's a massive outcry for for British marathoners. I think I think there's a definite gap in the market. Yeah, and it's what everyone relates to, I guess, isn't it? Like, there's yeah, a the question. Sort of just non-elite athlete necessarily can always relate to marathons. Yeah, it's strange that how the hardest, probably the mental mentally, like the most tough thing to do, is what people actually sort of look to the most. It's it's strange because like marathoners, London marathon. If you do well in that, and then you're British, you sort of get cherished. But like, exactly. yeah, I think I think marathon. It just depends of how how much you've got love for the sport and competing and stuff, doesn't it? Like, it's how far you want to take it. Um, yeah. And the last, go on. Uh, the la- the yeah, last yeah. question, the last question I've got is, um, if you could change one thing about the sport, what would it be? And we normally do this two steps. So one with infinite money, just any idea you have, and then another like a realistic change. Okay. Uh, okay. In- infinite money. But to be fair, it's not really about. Okay, for me as a per, it's difficult to make these decisions because me and you are are already fans of the sport. Yeah, and we would be fans of the sport regardless of what direction it took because we're a fan of the elite level and we, we like we like watching um and, and people running fast. We like watching people run fast times and if you if you watch Monaco and they're not breaking the world record or they're not doing getting some sort of record, you disappoint. You leave disappointed. Yeah, but the common fan, sports fan, running fan doesn't really know what a quick fifteen hundred meter time is. They just want to watch two of the top guys in the world battling it out in a really exciting race. So I think one would be um, prioritize if you want it to be successful. Maybe I like to watch fast times, but if you want it to be really successful, prioritize racing. Like just the, the, the pure racing. If you look at the success of F1, you couldn't tell me what you couldn't tell me what a fast time, fast lap time was on a certain lap in a certain place. But I find F1 because of the racing and the tactics and the backstory, knowing the drivers, things like that. They're all things that have to be implemented in athletics. We can take a lot from the likes of F1. Uh, another thing would be, I think, um, 
you, it has to be, you've got to make it appeal to more of a younger audience as well and, and modernise it a little bit. Um, it's got to be quicker. It, I think it should be, at Athletics Meet, it should be an hour long, not these like three hour, two and a half hour coverage. It should be an hour long, bang, 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 bang. All these races back to back, really exciting, action packed and then everyone goes home. I think that should be that sh- that should be another another factor. Um, and the last one would be um, it's a bit of a controversial one, but I think the introduction of initially the introduction of, of gambling, which I saw you post about, um, which I've thought for a while would be a positive uh, in a sport. I think initially to bring some revenue and, and things like that into the sport, I think gambling is. Um, it's something that should should be a no-brainer when you think about it. People are betting on horses and basketball games and random, you know, different different sports that they're, they're, they're probably not even that interested in. Uh, and they're only interested in it for their own personal personal gain. Imagine if you had that gambling aspect, but you could also you also had a personal relation relationship with the athlete. Like you had you knew the athlete's background or you know, you 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 Instead of like a horse who you look at, you know, does does the horse have good pedigree or whatever? You, mm. you have no horse. Why don't you get to know the athlete and think, right, okay, I'm going to bet on him today. I think I think Jakob's going to win it this week, or I think Chariot's got him this week because of this variable or whatever. And I think that's going to that would encourage a lot more people to uh, to tune into the sport and find it a lot more interesting. Um, I think the, the Diamond League is a really good concept. It's really good for the sport, but it's just got to be modernised. It's got to be more accessible uh, and it's got to be um, quick fire, basically. So yeah, they're my three points, I think, for improving sport short term. Yeah, I agree. I think gambling as well, like, it does provide a lot more context and entertainment. Like, even if someone's in sixth place, let's say if you could bet on someone to either beat someone or come a certain place, you're not just looking at, I've said this before as well, that you're not just looking at who's first and second, you're looking at who's fifth, sixth, seventh, or you're looking at see if you, you bet on, I don't know, Jake Whiteman running sub 330. Even if he's 10th, you might still be watching that to see if he breaks sub 330. And I think that just adds a lot more knowledge as well of the athlete. Like you get people, Podium did it when you did the 14, yeah, yeah, 13, really 59. Yeah it, yeah, it was really successful. But like, if you could bet on, I almost bet on that and I'm sad I didn't because I think the odds for Andy Hayes to get the top three were like, uh, if I put a five on, I would have got 100 quid and he came third. So I was a bit gutted. Uh, I've had Tom Mortimer and stuff like that so that, that was massively successful and the po- uh, podium is, is definitely a bit a pioneer um, mm. uh, in, 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 I love what they're doing so yeah I, I mean that, yeah all, all, all things that probably won't happen because I think there's some especially in the UK, UK I don't know I don't know if they're ready for that that big jump might be, might be a bit stuck in their ways yeah, that, that's why I think it's good that people at Podium or maybe more people start doing it s- smaller amounts and then sort of integrating it in. And if it's like someone like Seb, Seb sees it and is like, yeah, this is a good idea, then transition it over type of thing. I think that's the best yeah, way to go. He's been one of the best things to happen to the sport. People, people slag him off and stuff, but he's great. He, he's definitely, he knows what, he's, knows what he's talking about. I think that another thing which is tricky to negotiate is the fact that how hard athletics is to maintain a top level. Mm. Like, so, the top guys interchange every year, so you, yeah, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one. I mean, you know, you see an Ethiopian or a Kenyan guy turn up, run seven twenty five for three k, win a diamond league, and you never see him again. 
it's like you can't what's that bringing to the sport like it's a good time you don't you have no relation with the relationship to the guy you don't, they don't get an interview or whatever that's it it's like who who even was that and then they're, they're gone again you know the agent gets the money they're back to ethiopia so yeah it's yeah it's tricky man it, I, I could go around round and round in circles to be honest speaking about how the sport can be improved because i do love the sport i've got a definite passion about it so. Yeah, I think that's a problem. I could actually speak on this for a long time. So maybe that's a, like a, a thing for another podcast or... More people, not more people. Yeah, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it there. We had some follower questions, but generically the follower questions are sort of... I did integrate the, the questions that you'd ask anyway and like what I've already sort of asked. And I mean, yeah. a lot of them are sort of like what do you do gym sessions or like how do you feel how much have you learned from being surrounded by professional rugby players? I don't know if there's more context to that one. That's what someone's asked. Yeah, that's so stuff, one, stuff like that. It's, I guess it's like interesting, but then also like, I don't know. Cause then actually these are quite good. These are quite good questions, but like, I feel like with these, you could just go around in circles for like hours and hours and a podcast. I kind of want to save it for the next episode. Maybe um, when you get that sort of outdoor GB vest next. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, so well, I can answer a few of them, and you can just like crop it down a little bit. Crop, crop yeah. Well, t- tell you what, I'll just I'll just run through a few of them, and then I, I don't care about the waffle. People listen to a podcast; they don't care. Like they're here for, you know, listen to a podcast, maybe on a run or something. So, it, well, the first one is: what stuff does Matt have you do in the gym? I so I guess like an outline. It's kind of helpful for people listening. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do a quick fire. Well, I, I think um, it's not really Matt. The good thing about Matt is he knows his limits. He knows what is. Good at knows what he's an expert on. He knows what he's not. So we uh, we have Dave and Will. Uh, Will owns the Varsity Hotel uh, and Spa, so that has a gym there. So we go there to do S and C sessions in Cambridge. Is that in Cambridge, yeah. yeah. That looks nice. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's great. That's another massive um, uh, a massive asset we've got. So those guys set the gym session. They're quite they're quite, they're quite intense, uh, um, which I haven't had before. So yeah, the, the gym stuff is like a lot of. Basic movements, your squats, uh, deadlifts, cleans, um, stuff like that. A lot more upper body stuff as well. Pull-ups, uh, shoulder press. And then we'll do like a lot of calf stuff. That's mainly injury prevention, like the calf loading, things like that. Hamstring loading. So like, what's it called? Muscle, something curled, like where you go down like that on your hamstring and stuff. I don't know. It, You're asking the wrong person. I know what you mean. Yeah. Your general strength, um, just to get stronger, really. Uh, just generally stronger. So you're more robust uh, injury-wise. Um, and your basic movements and just getting good at your basic movements, uh, which can help, yeah, power a lot. Do you incorporate plyometrics at all with that or is that something? Yeah, yeah. I need to do more of it. I need to do more of it. But yeah, we do, we do, we do a bit yeah, I don't, I, if anyone doesn't apply metrics, it's sort of like explosive, like bounding and stuff like that, because I don't do any of that. And I feel like it has a huge benefit when done right. But then also, if you do it wrong, you're going to get injured pretty, pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, have, you have to. That's another thing I'd say to anyone. Don't just go to the gym and just, just do what you see on YouTube, whatever you need someone with you, really. It's quite tricky. Like you do need someone watching you, otherwise you're just going to do it wrong. Yeah. So. And one thing I do want to say as well, and I don't want to encourage you to start lifting heavy weights when you've been in a, in no experience. So obviously build up, uh, get the form right before you move up in rates, weights. I feel that's something you struggle with sometimes with deadlifts, where you, you deadlift yeah, heavy. Yeah. But like, yeah. make sure your form's right. But then also, 
it's a common misconception that runners are supposed to do loads of reps for muscle endurance, but you've already got muscle endurance from training. So yeah. runners are actually, it's more beneficial. I think it's like the sweet spots, like six reps, six or six to eight reps. It's kind of like the sweet spot, I guess. Yeah, we, so we, do, yeah, we, do, we never really go over eight reps at all. Mm. Mainly low, four to six, something like that. Yeah. Powerful, getting technique right, stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Um, the next one is the question about how much have you learned from being surrounded by professional rugby players? Is this some insider context of this? Or must be, must someone be. Just I don't know who, I don't know who said it, but um, Johnny Johnny yeah. Law said it, or Johnny X Law. So yeah, Johnny. I um, I lived in an athlete block accommodation in my first year of uni. Uh, yep. So in my flat or in the block was a lot of other professional athletes or high level athletes from different sports, which is cool. Um, and a lot of my so from that a lot of my friends at uni are professional rugby players, play for Leicester Tigers. Uh, Freddie mm-hmm. Stewart is playing for England and stuff like that. Um, and Johnny and Dan Kelly, people like that. Uh, I haven't looked, what I've learned from those guys is that rugby players aren't athletes. Uh, they're just, <laughs> just like good at rugby. All they do is like shower together and yeah, and shower together, do weird initiations, go go and go on the go out on the piss and yeah, that's about it. Not much rugby. <laughs> it's not not much rugby involved. No, so. And then the next one is, how did you first start out running and what was your running progression like? Okay. Um, first started standard stuff. Uh, was a footballer. Got into cross, school cross country. Was a bit of a man child. So was bigger than everyone else uh, mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, so running came very easily and I having, was having good results straight away. Uh, and that was kind of the case right up until I was about 16. Things was just falling into place for me really like, it was hard like I was putting I was working reasonably hard but like yeah things were things were very easy I, so when I was to give you some time context when I was 14 to under 15s around 411 which was quite quick I think at the time uh, bottom age under 17 so when I was 15 around 357 to 1500 uh, which is quite good again and then obviously 349 for a breakout year when I was 16 and then didn't PB uh, when I was 17, 18, 348, not great. Um, plateau still. Got to uni, ran 345, but that year I think I probably could have ran like more like 342. That was COVID year. Uh, then this year, 342, which was off a of 5K training really. I just I didn't really know what I was doing. So hopefully that PB comes down soon. After my yeah. yeah, I think... I think you've definitely set yourself up to run in the 30s this year. It seems like, because you did, you did have a fast 800 as well towards the end of last season, didn't you? Yeah, I was, I was I shocked by that. Yeah. No so offense. I. I just mean, it's like Trafford end of the season raining. I'm pretty sure it wasn't ideal conditions. Yeah. I, I just you know, decided to do an eight. Um, and yeah, around 149, which for someone who was doing 5k training was a bit of a sign. Like maybe I should give 500 meters a serious, another serious go. That was kind of another turning point as well for me. Um, next one is how does it how does it feel having such a great good looking bunch of kings as mates back home? <laughs> uh, yeah, mate, that's a gift and a, that's a gift and a curse as well. It's got such a they're always such a great looking uh, fiery bunch of lads that just hard to pull when, uh, whenever they're there. Does it, does it help being in Loughborough when you know your housemates are consist of? Angus McMillan yeah, yeah, 
when all my housemates are just uh, are all runts, then yeah, yeah, it's a bit easier. But no. <laughs> um, I've got, there's two more for you. Um, Go to pre race food. I guess post race food while we're here, might as well ask that as well. Yeah. Uh, I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. I eat porridge with frozen fruit on top. Health, eat, like, health is wealth. Health is wealth. You've got to eat like a dog if you want to be successful. How many, how many calories are you sort of consuming? Or don't you count calories? Because I don't really count. I just know I eat an absolute ton. If you start counting calories, you've got a bit of an issue, I think. Yeah. You're not training well. If you're training really hard, it's just about stuffing the food down your face so you can survive. Eat, eat, eat when you're hungry and sort of eat a lot of carbs and protein. That's sort of what you've got to follow, in it? Eat a lot. Try not to get fat, but just eat, eat, eat a lot. And this one, is it, I'm guessing it's sort of flat out speed but like best way to build speed as a middle distance runner well you'd have to ask my coach that uh but from what i've learned so far gym plyos uh drills as well quick feet drills um and then taking them drills not just doing these drills just to like warm up or whatever actually using these drills as okay how is that going to apply to making me faster when i run um so yeah that, that, that they're the two and I don't really understand what this, it's not really very good English, but someone's asked about the, when you won the mini marathon, the interview you had before. Um, oh. the, the question doesn't really make much sense, but I think they're trying to get at, was that sort of like the peak of your life being on national television, being interviewed? Uh, that was a very good day. Um, it was a bit, yeah, that was a bit of a random day. Like I, I wasn't expecting to win that at all. And then I got like, the holding pen. They didn't mm. get waiting to race and someone tapped me on my shoulder and was like oh yeah the BBC wants to interview you which was yeah a bit surreal and then like I ended up winning it and then I had another what are the chances with... what are the chances yeah. there's 300 kids and they pick you to interview and then you go and win it it's pretty yeah. it's crazy it that. was pretty I don't know they must have had my name on a, some sort of list I don't know because they knew a little bit about me they knew I'd been on the training camp and stuff like yeah, I don't know. It was it was all a little bit. It was all a bit of a weird day that was because I just kind of went to go do it as a tempo and ended up winning it. But, would yeah. Would you say that's the most iconic celebration in history? Uh, what, what a salute! Yeah, your little walk through the finish line and then salute is pretty pretty iconic. That, that I think. Was, uh, it's one of you know when you're getting ready to like warm up for a race or the week leading up, you think, oh, what would I do over the line if I won? And then I was just sort of one of them, and then I actually won. And I was like, oh, I should probably do something. It wasn't really that that thought through. If, if yeah. it's, oh yeah, it's still on your Instagram. So if anyone's curious, it is actually going to be the thumbnail of this podcast. I think I've decided I'll put that as the, uh, okay. as the thumbnail just for this podcast. Zoom flies. Oh no, that, I can't believe that was when the, the 4% yeah. was still around. That's crazy. That's, that is one thing. I was thinking I was the only guy in the race for wearing 4%, I think. So yeah, that, well, that you, well there's, there's nothing better than beating, outkicking Robbie Leonard, is there really? So it's fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm quite used to it, really. Yeah, everyone, everyone's outkicks Rory. But yeah, that's that's the last question I've got for you. Um, so I guess the floor is yours if you want to do your little... We do this as well. It just makes the guest uncomfortable. So if you want to do an outro, if you've got anything to say, feel free. And if not, I guess just tell people where to find you if anyone's still listening at this point. Yeah, well, thanks for having me uh, on the platform, Alfie. I really appreciate it because I love the sound of my own voice. And um, yeah, I could speak about athletics all day, really. Um, yeah, you can find me Luke, at Luke Duffy underscore on Instagram, really. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And obviously, everyone else, thanks for listening. And 
give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us out. And then go and follow Luke as well uh, to keep up to date with, I guess, witty Instagram captions is the best way to, yeah, yeah. to say what yeah, it's all about the captions. The caption game has to be strong in athletics. If it's not, then you're struggling. Yep, absolutely. I'll end it on that. Thank you for listening and goodbye.